Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here. Today joining me is Rachel Miller, who is the founder and CEO of Moolah Marketing, a company that helps businesses build audiences on social media. She'll be joining us. Hey, Rachel. (laughs) Glad to have you here. Um, So, Rachel, you're going to be joining us to talk all about how farmers can leverage free social media traffic to build their audience and grow their businesses. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm here for. So excited. So talk to us a little bit about your background. I mean, you have helped 45 people bring single posts from their business pages to more than 10 million people. Um, and that can help them go from obscurity to the household brands. Totally. And we've seen, we've seen brands literally be built almost overnight. Um, we've seen people get like TV mentions. We've seen someone go from obscurity to in their local town being like the town hero, the town mascot, almost mm-hmm. And almost overnight, when you can get in front of the right people with your message and get them talking to you. And I grew up in a farm town, so I know what's possible even for farmers who want to get their products in front of your own either local buyers or let's say you want to get your products in front of grocery stores because you Uh know grocery store suppliers are the ones who are going to get your products out there. Whoever your audience is, when you can craft content for them and craft it in a way that gets them to engage with you, you almost get free advertising because they spread the word about you and your business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the farmers we work with, I mean, they go through a five stage journey that we call the success path for them. And frequently at the beginning, they obviously can't grow enough. And so they obviously everything they can grow, they can sell, but then they get good at growing. And now they have all this stuff that we don't want to end in the compost pile. So that's why we need to build that audience and, uh, and help them be able to sell that. So talk to us a little bit about your background. How did you get started in the online world? Oh, it's been fun. I actually, I I began my business when I was a stay-at-home mom. I used to be a a school teacher. I taught high school economics and I had to lose my job. Um, I say like I lost, lost my job, like it was taken away from me, but I, I turned in my resignation when I found out I was pregnant with my second child while I was on maternity leave. (laughs) We had a little bit of an oops there. Um, A great blessing because like, you know, I mean, life is precious. My kiddo's awesome. He's awesome and amazing. But I was surprised in that moment. And so I came home, wasn't happy about it. <laughs> came home yeah. a little bit begrudgingly. <laughs> um, and I sat at home and I was bored out of my mind. And my husband said like, oh, and I only had one, we only had one car as a family at that time because my car had broken down and we couldn't re- afford the repairs because I you know, no longer had a job. And so uh, my husband came home and he's like, why don't you just build your job online? Why don't you just do something mm. online to connect with people? And that's when I created my first website. I created that first website, grew it to, to the point where I was getting 10 million page views. That means people who saw it online on Facebook, on Pinterest, on Twitter, that was a thing then. Um, mm-hmm. They saw it and then they clicked over. So we had 10 million people click into my website every single month. And um, we just exploded. And I realized that I have a chance to make an impact on families' lives with my website. And, and I interacted with people every day through my website. So I almost rebuilt my social circle. So my business was online instead of 
in person mm-hmm. because at the time I didn't have the ability to interact with people in person. I mean, yeah. eventually guys, that business paid for our house. We paid for our house and we bought two new cars and cash. So like the, the business grew to sustain our lifestyle too. But when I first started it, I didn't have anything mm-hmm. and just a desire to help people and to talk to people. So Rachel, this website you built, this was a blog and talk to us about something. What was the topic of the blog? It was kids activities and DIY house hacks. Mm-hmm. So, so basically yeah. how to fix your garbage disposal when it breaks. Okay. Very cool. <laughs> Not sexy stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so talk to us about building audiences because I think that's the, the that's your just superpower and, and, and share with us why first do we want an audience? Well, we want an audience because that's who will buy our products. If we want customers, we don't have customers if no one hears that we even have a product. How do people hear that we have a product? Well, you have to tell them. You could spend money to tell them. You could put up a, a billboard on the side of the road because <laughs> yeah. we all know how effective that, those are. <laughs> when was the last time you bought something because you saw a billboard? <laughs> you have to have a way of getting people to find out that you have a product. If you have the best green beans in organic food in your area nobody knows that if they don't if no one tells them well how do you tell them you could spend money on ads and for me i'm a tightwad and i don't want to spend money so Mm -hmm. i would rather use organic methods and that's where i build an audience of people in my local town who are or my or wherever that are as passionate about this topic as i am and then i love them and i serve them and give them the products that i sell Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know some people talk about how they say, well, social media is dead. You have to pay to play. Is that still true? No. <laughs> okay. I see that with a lot of people that they say you have to pay more for ads or you have to run ads to get results. But just um, two days ago, we had Sam reach 1 million people with her content without a single ad spent. Um, wow. We had uh, Allison messaged me and said she reached 20,000 people in her local area. So it's possible to reach your people without using ads. And then because you create this, this wide audience, so you use the, the ad that, um, without, without ads, excuse me, use the post to go to your, everyone in your local area. And then you retarget everyone in your local area with content just about farming and, Mm -hmm. or about your organic food or mushrooms or whatever it is that you guys are growing. Mm -hmm. And then after you retarget those people with mushrooms, then you're going to retarget them again with come buy my mushrooms. So you, it's a nurture process. It's not an immediate Mm -hmm. come buy my product, come buy. It's not a sales relationship. You're building a relationship of like person to person interactions mm-hmm. of trust. Yeah. Yes. Have so them if, before they buy. So if you are just putting like here, buy my green beans every single week, that's not going to build your, your audience yeah. because the people are just going to say, Oh, they are just trying to sell me green beans. Exactly. But if you build a relationship as to why your farm cares more about the community than any other farm in the area, why your farm cares more about the relationship with the restaurant supplier. And you want to make sure that the, the, whatever the restaurant supplier is looking for, you want to protect that. And you care about those restaurants even more than they do. Whenever mm-hmm. you come at the relationship about what they want, you're going to be more likely to convert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you'd be talking about things about how you're making their life easier, how you're making it their life safer, how the product that you have is better. 
Well, it's not even about whether your product is better. It's about what they want. So you uh-huh. want safe food in the marketplace. Well, here's three things that other farmers are doing that's not keeping you safe. You are not saying I'm keeping you safer because then it comes across, well, well of course you're saying that because you're trying to sell me your product. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're building that relationship and building that trust and telling them, watch out because there's this thing that's out there right now that could hurt you. Mm-hmm. And they're, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, I, he cares about me because he's protecting me. And they mm-hmm. don't, they subliminally start trusting you more. So when they do hear that you're selling a product, they're going to be more likely to trust and buy from you versus someone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I know a lot of people use their Facebook, their personal profiles as well. So what are some tips on like, what, how, how should you be using your personal Facebook profile? I want to use your personal profile to build relationships. That, that's also what I use for Facebook pages and Facebook groups. If you're a local seller, getting a local group is powerful, super, mm. super powerful. Um, but I want you to use trust factors on your personal profile. People come to a a personal profile to have a relationship with that person. Whenever you fill your personal profile with lots of buy one, get one free, or Uh join my lead magnet so you can be my VIP seller, that stuff pushes people away when they interact with you and they're going to be less likely to buy from you. Even though Uh you think I'm giving them discounts, don't they want a discount, but you're actually pushing them away from you. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other stuff too is I tend to try to stay away from like really political stuff or like, you know, words with friends and stuff like that. Cause I just feel like that's almost spammy. Well, it depends. Like words with friends is definitely spammy. I would definitely avoid that. But sometimes the political stuff can help you do better because mm-hmm. you want to wear the things that your audience cares the most about. So if your audience really cares about the upcoming local election and whether or not um, street, I know I'm just picking up something in our local area. Uh They made streetlights take photos and some people really cared about it and other people really were mad Uh about the cameras taking photos and the cops were yada, yada, yada. Anyways, the the streetlights were this really big hot topic. The fact that you care about that hot topic is probably going to make them connect more to you than if you didn't. So Uh in that circumstance, sometimes the politics can help you if you champion the things that your audience cares about. And even if you're saying, look, I don't understand, someone explain to me why this would be for, for the cops, why they need to have the lights uh-huh. that whatever. Just the act of asking that, even if they're on the other side of the spectrum, they're going to kind of connect more to you. Yeah. But ask it in a way that's not condemning. Yeah, no, I think you're right on that too, because I think I've asked some kind of political questions lately, just because we have a lot going on in our country right now. And so I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to understand more about it. And so, yes, you get both sides. And obviously, sometimes both of them like fight with each other, but it usually stays pretty syllable. But as the whole aspect, if you're building trust the whole way across, because you're understanding and learning more. Yes. So, but you don't want to come across, you you don't want to polarize your audience, Uh but you do want to stand up for the things that they care about. So if there's a, especially with local politics, if there's an issue they care about a lot, um, another example would be um, going back to streets in our area. um, I've coached some realtors in our local Uh area to care about the potholes. So the city does not control with the main roads, the the road care, the state. Uh So me picking on the state it's almost like unifying my local area. So I could say, yes. oh my word, guys, look at this pothole. It has been 43 days since the state has done anything to it. I'm caring about this. Why isn't anybody else caring about this? Let's get yeah. rid of these potholes. That's a political thing, 
but at the same, and it's saying I'm anti my state. Like, why can't my state fix this? But it's also unifying your local people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cause everyone can get behind that pothole cause it's destroying their cars. Yes, exactly. So mm -hmm. what are those things that you can get behind in your local area? So thinking of whenever I grew up, there was a, a, a local farm that had done something with the water supply that, oh uh -oh. no, it wasn't the farm. It wasn't the farm that did something. It was the ski company. I live near a mountain. And so there was uh -huh. a, a ski company that was on the mountain, but they had put something into the, the water, uh, into the snow to make the snow last longer or be better snow or whatever it was, but it affected everyone's water supply. So in that circumstance, we could all rally around the fact that, hey, what happened was wrong. It's a political thing. It's a hot topic. But farmers, you guys need to say, here's how we're standing up to one, mm -hmm. hold them accountable because they're hurting our water supply. And two, how we can say our vegetables are safe in spite of what happened with mm -hmm. the water supply. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about stories, because I know a lot of people, people love story, using story on social media. What kinds of stories should you be telling on social media? Well, there's, I guess there's kind of like two different things of like, first, we probably need to define story because mm -hmm. there's story as in how we create our content in a way that our audience can connect to us. Mm -hmm. So we tell a story about our brand. We tell a story about our lives. So every time we post, we're kind of telling a story. We're mm -hmm. creating an image of ourselves. And then there's actual stories, which are like a type of content. So if yeah. you go to the top of your feed, you can click your like profile face and add a story. And that's a whole nother thing. So I'm going to go with the first one, which is how do we craft the narrative of who we are? Absolutely. And I want you to think of who your person is. So like your perfect person, what do they call themselves? Um, if you're a local farmer and you're selling at the farmer's market, you have a specific type of person who comes to you. It could be somebody who's retired and they have time to go to the farmer's market. It could be that your food does better with people who have allergies because you're an organic, natural, local, raw honey person. And uh -huh. so you know that your honey does well with people with allergies in your local area. So you're, you all have a specific customer. It's not everybody, it's a specific customer. So how can you wear the brand, uh, the shirt, the, the message that that specific customer says about themselves? So every person has a story they want the world to know about them. Um, mm -hmm. It's not just brands that have this, but people do. So how can you literally say, this is what this person says about themselves and say it for them. When you say the story for them, you, you, they will attach to you and to your brand so much more quickly. So if you're, say, the, the honey person and you sell raw honey, you would want to say, allergies, <laughs> totally beaten them this year. Cedar's been high, but I'm, be I'm stronger than cedar at seven, whatever. I'm still mm -hmm. going to be out there, whatever the, the number is. I know somebody in my local area cares about the cedar number, and they're always telling us the cedar number. But that's because that's what they care about. So you, mm. if you're the a honey person got the that local allergen in our area it's cedar and your area might be ragweed or whatever mm -hmm. you're going to talk about that number because your person cares about that number uh -huh. and nobody uh -huh. else really cares about that number <laughs> i don't have allergies i don't really care about the cedar number <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so, so yeah so what is that thing that your person cares about the most that you can claim with your content Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about the whole algorithm. Cause I know a lot of people get frustrated by that. They're not quite sure what that all means, a, what the algorithm is, and then B, what does the algorithm want? The algorithm is 
how Facebook determines what content goes into people's feeds. So when you open your Facebook wall, you see posts and you don't see every post that's on Facebook because that would be way overwhelming, mm -hmm. right? You see the posts of people who you have a relationship with. Um, you see posts about topics that you've engaged with or you've talked about before. You might see ads in your feed and those ads, they're not at all the ads on Facebook. You see ads based on what you've engaged with in the past. So like if you were looking at blue curtains last week, you might see blue curtains in your feed now because Facebook thinks you might be interested in some blue curtains. Or and, even talking about blue curtains. Yes. Well, <laughs> so Facebook doesn't do that, but there are other apps that do that then track your, your wording. So yes, Alexa is really bad at that. And there, anyways, there's a few others. But so my point in that is you, you have things that you cover. And mm -hmm. as you cover those things, Facebook sees your engagement and then delivers specific content to you for that. So it's a relevancy score. That's when you've engaged with something in the past. So Facebook says it's going to be more likely that you're going to want this again in the future. And they look at how close someone is to you. So if you are a local farmer and you sell local food, push on that. Like make sure you have talk about your local area a lot because that's going to rank you higher in the algorithm. Um, and then so when you're creating content, you want to create content that's relevant to your people so that that way it's more likely to show up into their like menu of what they're going to get on their feeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and with the algorithm too, um, when you're creating that content, you want to, do you have a specific t number of types of content you create or do you just whatever works? I like to have a photo, a video and a conversation starter because my content is not about me. It's about my audience. So I want to make sure that I include questions to find out who they are and what I can do to best serve them. So who here is struggling with allergies this year? Let us know because, you know, we, is it ragweed or is it cedar that is your mm. trigger? So you're asking them to talk to you. What that does is tells Facebook, hey, remember the algorithm is looking for relevant content. Hey, this person just talked to this brand. So this brand must be important to this person. So next time the brand comments and says, hey, we have a sale at our, our, our farmer's market, come get the uh -huh. raw honey at the farmer's market, they're gonna be more likely to see that and they're gonna be more likely to come. You can also set up events in Facebook. So that way you know that everyone who's come to your farmer's market and is checked in where you are, and they don't even really have to check in. They just show up because you can have uh -huh. your events set that way where anyone who comes to see you or walks by your farmer's market, they're going to be more likely to see your ad next time you deliver your ad next week. So there's ways that you can target people using Facebook that you can't do really anywhere else. Uh -huh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, that's really good. So you talk a lot about the bumper sticker, right? That's one of your trademark, uh, you know, yeah. terms. Talk to us about what a bumper sticker is for your page. Yeah. A bumper sticker helps you get that algorithm to notice you. So when you're, because we were talking about trying to keep things relevant, uh -huh. people talk about topics and Facebook knows what someone cares about. So Facebook, you can go into the back end and you can see what Facebook thinks of you. There's a spot you can go and check. Um, you can see if they think you're conservative. They can see if you think you're liberal. They can see if you're, if you've got lots of kids or if you've got no kids and they, they like, they've got different categories. The bumper sticker is when you start wearing the person's category or the thing that they call themselves and you say it to them. Because mm. what a soccer mom calls herself and says about herself is very different than an empty nester. Mm. 
So when you start saying those phrases that that mom or that empty nester would say about themselves, you start seeing your content put more in the feed because Facebook knows what your content is about and who it's for. But you also see those people relate to you because your content's irresistible because they're like, heck yeah, that's me. I can totally relate because I'm an empty nester and I'm on my own sunburning this summer or whatever. What? Yeah. Yeah. You guys know. So I'm not an empty nester. I've got six kids. Yeah. So, and, and with that bumper sticker, you uh, use that, you know, across your page and, and the, the header image too, you talk a lot about using yeah. that there. I use my, what I call the bumper sticker, which is the content, the I am statements that my audience would say about themselves. So I am an empty nester. Mm -hmm. I am an allergy sufferer. I am a mom of six kids, whatever those things that they would say about themselves. I will say that with my content on my page, on my profile, in groups, I will have it in a photo, I'll have it in a video, I'll ask questions like roll call, who else is a uh -huh. blank? So I, I cover my content with that, those phrases that my audience would say. Because when someone says what you would say back to you, they automatically agree with you. If someone uh -huh. agrees with you, they're gonna be a lot more likely to buy from you because they trust you. So I want them to agree with me before they hear that I'm selling something to them. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So what if you have a dead page? What are some st steps folks can take to bring back that? First thing would be to find what your people want the world to know about them. So, well, actually, first thing would be to see if your page actually has real people on it. Because I've uh -huh. seen so many people who bought likes and thought like they hired an ad team and they bought fans and then find out, well, no joke, you're not gonna be reaching your local area because everyone on your page is from Nepal. Uh -huh. <laughs> they don't uh -huh. speak your language. <laughs> um, that's a real thing, unfortunately, some advertisers, um, marketers will do that. Um, what I would check to see if your fans are real. If they are real, then start saying those phrases that your people want the world to know of them. So if it's a local area, I care about Babe's Chicken House. Because uh -huh. Babe's Chicken House is that place everybody in our local area goes to go hang out and have fried chicken. So I care about Babe's Chicken House during COVID or whatever the issues are. And we want to make sure Babe's is taken care of because you are a local person. So you care about those local things. Hey, did you know Babe's cares about farm, um, eats fresh? Like, isn't that yeah. awesome? So you're going to say those things. You're not saying you're selling your chicken. You're selling whatever to Babe's. You're saying celebrating those local things that local people care about. They care about potholes. I care about potholes too, because you care about potholes. Uh -huh. And if it's for grocery stores, well, what is it that a grocery store cares about? That their food is safe, that their customers are loved, that, they're, that, they are, that the grocery store is a champion of the local community, that they're a part uh -huh. of the local community. So how can you celebrate a grocery store? If your goal is getting customers who are grocery store suppliers, then you want to say this grocery store is amazing because it's celebrating its community. Isn't this grocery store great? That's the person who's buying your stuff in that grocery store is like, whoa, they love me. We're mm -hmm. good. You, mm -hmm. you say those things that that person that's your customer wants the world to know about them. When you do that, you put that in photos, you put that in videos, you put that in conversation starters your audience naturally says, heck yes, that's me. This person gets me. I'm going to spend my money with them because they're my type of people. Mm -hmm. And I think what important what you said there too, is it's not just writing about it. It's showing it in the video. It's showing it in the photos. I mean, if you show a photo of a, a five-year-old eating a fresh strawberry on your farm, that's going to resonate. Yeah. Yeah. And it's going to resonate 
just and also a video and if your person is like um the strawberry on the farm you could also say how many of you have had a strawberry straight off of the bush um, or the vine yes always bring it back to your audience it's not about your strawberry it's about your audience how can you bring them into this so it's their story Mm-hmm, 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 absolutely. With that, I'd like to stop here and take a quick break. In a minute, we'll be back with Rachel Miller. If you've been enjoying this episode so far, you're gonna to wanna to head over to growingfarmers.com backslash free resources and download our free resource bundle to help you shave hours off your week and become a thriving farmer. It includes resources such as our 10 winter growing secrets we wish we knew when we started, which is a ebook which talks about the tips and techniques to get better growth in your winter production. We teach things like the simple but counterintuitive principle that trips up most beginning growers, the shape and size of tunnels that are best for winter production, how to prepare beds so they are weed free and get beautiful lush stands of crops, what to do about pests like aphids, voles, and slugs, how to fast track your research to fine tune your production for your microclimate, and how to pack in more crops for higher yields and profits. So head over to growingfarmers.com backslash free resources and download your free resource bundle today. And we're back with Rachel Miller from Mueller Marketing. Rachel, talk to us why you don't want other farmers to be following your social media pages. Well, sometimes you do, though. Like, it depends. Like, are you, how do I say this? The person who buys from one farm, are they going to be more likely to also buy from another farm? So I'm thinking of myself whenever I was, uh, I grew up. I grew up in a farming area and I grew up drinking raw milk because this, the farmer was down the street that raw milk was like allowed then. Um, that's like where we all went and got our milk there. It was totally normal for me to get my milk there. It would be great for the, the green bean person who the green bean farm, they uh-huh. sell green beans part of the year and then they sell strawberries. And then whenever that crop was done, so they were like a one, two crop per farm. So whenever one crop would be, what do you call it when they mow it then? <laughs> yes, it's just turned under, turned <laughs> under. They turned under one crop, they started the next one. And then three weeks, three months later, you'd have that crop. And then three months later, you have another one. Anyways, they had like one crop at a time. And so it would have been really great for them to have a stand right outside the milk store where uh-huh. we would go to the dairy farm and get our milk and we could have gotten our, our strawberries or our green beans, whatever time of the year it was there. Yeah. So what yeah. you're saying is it's good for local farms in a local area to be following and engaging with each other. But- yeah. If farms like in California are following your, your farm in Ohio. Oh, no, that's not helpful. No. So um, what the, yeah. And explain what that's going to do to people. Cause I get this pushback all the time when I'm talking to farmers and they say, I want to do a follow chain. And I'm like, no guys, we're not going to allow a follow chain in our group this week. <laughs> that's like the worst thing for you guys. Okay. I did not realize what you were talking about, but <laughs> it's good for you to have your, to, if you're a local seller, to yeah. have where your local buyers are hanging out. And the person who's buying from one local farm is probably buying from another local farm. Mm-hmm. So don't see them as competition because they're going to be, your, your customers are the same. <laughs> so yes. you're, you're friends, but your customers are not the same as the person in Vermont who's selling maple syrup and the person in California selling grapes. It's not the same customer. So you don't want those farms to be following you because their followers are completely different from yours. So if you have the winery people following your honey, raw honey farm, yeah, they're not going to buy your, your product. So you don't want them. You do want, if you're a raw honey person, you 
probably want the local allergist in your <laughs> area because your product kind of dovetails with their services. Your niche neighbor might not be farmers. It might be the local allergist, or it might be the person who sells tea in your local area, the tea store, the mm -hmm. tea and coffee store. So think outside the box. Where are your customers? That's who you want following you. You don't want people following you if they're not your customers and yeah. they don't have your customer's audience. Well, and what's going to tell the algorithm is, oh, people like this farmer, like this page, and it's not going to show it to your local people. No, because Facebook looks at your page and they give like 3% of your followers. They'll put your content onto the feed of say three or maybe 4% of your followers. Well, if it's a random three to 4%. So like it just randomly puts it in front of 3% and says, do they like it? If they do, we'll show it to more people. Well, let's say your page has... 40% of them are in Nepal and the yes. other 20% are in California. And oh, by the way, you're outside of Cleveland. It means nothing to Facebook. So now you've got 3% and Facebook's like, doesn't show it to any, like it shows it to these people that aren't going to engage. And so Facebook's like, nobody likes this. So it doesn't show it to anybody else. Uh -huh. So you literally wasted your time posting. You wasted your time trying to get in front of an audience because your content won't go in front of the people that you need it to. So what you're saying is you'd rather have 500 just local people on your page than 10,000 spread all over the world. I would even rather have 100 people local to my page than 10,000. Mm -hmm. if, if the 100 people are my perfect people, I would rather have that any day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about ratios. Um, like for sales posts, the value posts, do you have a specific ratio that yes. you'd like to see? Yes. Oh, I love that question. You're fun. Um, I want, like I said earlier, Photo, video, conversation starter, because that helps mm -hmm. people connect to you. Photos tend to get people to like your content. Videos, people trust you because they see your face and they talk to you and they see you interacting. Um, and then conversation starters, you give them a chance to talk back to you. So you mm -hmm. always want to have that mix. But then in addition to that, I have one out of every four posts. I, so it's photo, video, conversation starter. And then the fourth post, I have be something that I can promote of my own. Mm -hmm. So that's when I'll sell. I don't want to sell all the time because if you're selling all the time, it kind of feels like yeah. you guys have been to the grocery store when there's that person that's sitting there selling like the handouts. Does that make yeah. sense? And sometimes yeah. you feel a little awkward there. You're like, should I take it? Am I supposed to buy it now? Like it was really good, but you know, I don't really want to kids stop taking everybody's thing. You know, it's, it's an awkward moment. I don't want you to have that awkward feeling with, with your customers. I want your customers to be like, Oh my word, this apple was so better than anything I've ever gotten in the grocery store. Where is it? I need more of them. Um, yeah. I want you to have it where it's about the customers spreading the word for you instead of you chasing the customer. And that happens when you have that interaction, photo, video, conversation starter, and then sell. Okay. So then in the sales post don't necessarily have to be direct to sales. They can also be more of a sideways sale or more just like talking about your, the benefits of your product instead of like, just buy my apples. Anytime I do a sales one, I want to um, think about what the customer what the customer would get in the position they're in that would make them want to purchase my product. So this could be, oh my word, this is the juiciest apple. That's what so-and-so just said. Mm -hmm. Wondering where he got them? Heads up, hint, hint, we'll be there at the farmer's market on Friday. Or heads up, we now have a, uh, a booth at our farm where you can directly purchase straight from us, farm mm -hmm. to table. We bring that right to, we, we live that as a reality. So you, there's different wordings that you can say that don't necessarily scream buy one, get one off, or we have a sale or all of those phrases that are really going to push away your market, especially if they're buying it 
organic is, is not a, um, it's not a discount buy. It's something that people buy because they want it better, right? They want it. Uh -huh. They want something better. So give them that experience that they're getting something more. I would not be discounting it and being super, super salesy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you look at like Tiffany's can sell a $24,000 paperclip, gold coated paperclip, and you can get, you know, boxes of them. It's, it's no longer a commodity when you learn how to position yourself in the marketplace. And that's what you do so well with your audience is teaching them how to position their products, their food as high value to their people. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's what Facebook, you could just use Facebook for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So then you've got followers on your page. So that's people that like your content. They hit the, the follow button or the like button, but then how do you convert them to buyers? I nurture them. So this is when I run ads. Whenever I have an engaged audience, then we run ads to anyone who's engaged on our page because we made sure they're only our local people. They're only the people that are interested uh -huh. in actually buying a product. That's why I want a hundred of them, not 10,000, right? I want the engaged people. And then I send an ad to them to reinforce that I'm their perfect person, to connect them to me. So we start with awareness. That's you found out that I'm a farmer. You found out that uh -huh. we have strawberries. You found out that, hey, allergies are real this year. Whatever that awareness content is, you've got that. And then you retarget them with, I'm the place that has these kind of values that you stand for. You're not even selling at this point. You're just telling them their, your values. And then after you, they've seen, hey, I am this. I, I agree with you. I am that type of person. Two, then they see that I connect with you. You have the same values that I have. The third post that I give them is the sales post, the third or fourth. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And you can do, and the thing is too, when you do it that way, the cost of your ads can be one hundredth of what other people are spending because you're reaching the right people, not just random people on Facebook. Yes. Yes. I've seen ads be so much less than anyone else um, in my space because I've nurtured them in this system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like right now we're just running a, um, an ad and, um, Previously, we've been targeting a lookalike audience, which is just like more of a general audience, cold audience. But we, we turned it on to a different um, audience, which was actually someone who watched a video about this product. Um, and our ad cost is 30% of what the previous audience was. I love that. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Way to go. Yeah. So it's just, it's fascinating when you find those people, the people that are interested, that have engaged, that want that type of thing, your ad costs just plummet. And so I think farmers that struggle with that can find out like, look, once you get the right people, it's going to change drastically for you. Yeah. So I know you talk a lot about pages, but there's also groups on Facebook. Talk to us what the difference is between a, a page and a group. A, a page is, is where a business gets to advertise itself. A group, especially if you're a local farmer or even with restaurant suppliers, I'm guessing that, or grocery store suppliers, I'm guessing that they all have groups as well. And if they don't go make one. Mm -hmm. So if your local area does not have a Facebook group where people are hanging out, be the farmer who cares about your local area and make that Facebook group. Mm -hmm. If your grocery suppliers don't have a Facebook group for grocery store suppliers, um, you want to make that group because you then get to control the flow of information and the narrative that they see and they trust you. So groups are great because it gives your customers a chance to talk to each other. You selling to someone is selling, but mm -hmm. what's even better is when your customers sell for you. Mm -hmm. How do you facilitate your customers selling for you without 
as much work, without as much effort, without basically begging them for reviews, a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see that absolutely. Because obviously we have our page and we get a few comments here and there. And when we do our, our great conversational starters, then it goes a little bit crazy. But in our groups, it's where the people are talking, they're chatting. Um, and like our latest time we opened one of our courses and literally on that post in there, we had a bunch of our customers just jumping on and saying, oh my gosh, this is amazing folks. You have to take this tagging other people um, because they've engaged and they've been finding it extremely helpful for them. Yeah, love it. So talk to us about um, just the business because you've built now multiple businesses over the last, um, since you've been <laughs> online. <laughs> what would you say? Yeah, I mean, and I've actually been there on part of the journey. I know some of the people don't know is that I worked while we were building our business right now, I worked for you for a number of months um, and it was an incredible experience just watching you explode and, and, and your business grow. But what would you say has been the hardest thing that you've done as an entrepreneur? Oh, the hardest thing probably hiring because mm. hiring is you're putting your faith in like someone else to do part of your business for you. And sometimes they don't do the work and sometimes they do. And sometimes then they leave because they go to start their own business like Michael did, which is awesome. And amazing. <laughs> but hiring the right people and giving them the tools that they need to be successful and the systems that they need to be successful is the hardest thing. So as a farmer, you're going to notice this too. You're going to want to hire somebody to do your social media. You're going to want to hire somebody to help you with your plant, planting. You're going to want to hire someone to do X, Y, Z. And part of the problem with hiring someone, maybe it's just me that's noticed this, but I hire someone before I know the job. Mm. So if I hire someone to do my weeds before I know what's a weed, how am I going to tell that person to weed effectively, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or not even what's a weed. You may have identified the weed, but how do you weed? Because yeah. there's, a massive, <laughs> yes, there's a massive difference between weeding and cultivation. And exactly. Yeah, so you're right. It's, it's, it's getting the people, it's making sure you're clear on how they should be doing what they're doing instead of just like, oh, I want you to go out and weed because uh -huh. you could spend tons of money. And this is why I don't want you to do your own social media, to hire out your social media either. Because if you don't know what's a weed, you're not going to be able to communicate to the person coming to weed how to weed effectively. Okay. So what you're saying is learn how to run your own social media first. Yes. And then once you've figured it out, then you can start training someone to start taking over pieces of that. And that's with all parts of my business. That's been with all of my business. I, the times that I've struggled the most is when I've hired someone before I knew what that job entailed. And I just expected that person to read my mind and do it when I didn't even know what my mind was saying. So mm. I could, I did not hire them effectively. I did not lead them effectively. I did not, I set them up for failure. You, if you hire someone for social media, you're going to set yourself up for failure because you don't know what that business is. You as a business owner, you really, especially until you've scaled and you're at a, at a size, um, you're going to need to know what every part of your business is for you to do it effectively and for you to outsource it. You can't outsource it until you've known, you know what it is. Uh -huh. And that's uh -huh. where I felt in my business the most probably. Uh -huh. What do you wish you had done sooner or earlier in your businesses? Oh, that's an interesting one. That's an interesting one. Huh? I mean, on one aspect, I think you say, you know, you've got to be clear on what you hire, but I also know the other aspect is you do want to try to get stuff off your plate quicker. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there is getting stuff off your plate quicker. I think I tend to get 
things off my plate too fast though. Mm -hmm. So there's different personality types. And um, I think what I probably would have started on earlier was finding a way to leverage myself. Mm. So anytime that you're trading dollars for hours where you do the work once and it doesn't have returns later. So what I mean for that is like a coaching, a coaching call. That's great and amazing in the sense I get to invest in someone. It's great, but it's not something that's sustainable in the sense I'm trading my time for one hour. So Uh I get paid and I do one hour worth of work. Anytime there's a dollar to hour ratio, that's not scalable. It's not sustainable for me. What I want is to have something that's leveraged. So I probably would have moved away from those. I did this much work. I got this much pay earlier and into leverage. And what I mean by leverage is I do the work once like a social media post. I create a hundred social media posts. I create them one time. And then those posts, I get to post them every night, one a day for the next hundred days. And I guess what? At day 101, they're not going to remember that they saw this post 100 days ago. So you can start it all over again. <laughs> yeah. So, and another thing. I didn't leverage my time. I, I thought I have to do this every single day instead of thinking, how can I systematize this so I can leverage my time? So converting that into the farming world, um, that would be similar to, am I going to actually do the seeding myself or am I going to spend my time setting up a better seeding system or a more automated seeding system so it can be done quicker and more efficiently in the future? And even if it takes you longer to set up that system, it's going to save you more time in the long run. So I think a lot of times is we think we're going to take the shortcut because we're just going to do it right now. It's only going to take two days if I do it right now. Instead of saying, wait a second, if it took a week, I would have it set up for next time. So I don't have to do two days next time. And so that means I'll never have to do that two days again. Let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back to the hiring part. What is your hiring process now? Because finding right people is such a hard thing sometimes. Do you have a specific uh, flow that you use now for hiring? We do. We, we start by basically seeing our audience everywhere with the right person. And I like to hire for personality type first because I can train someone on skills. I can train someone on, I can even get them the experience that they need, but I can't train their personality and how I want them to show up in the world. Uh-huh. You know, if you've got somebody, think going back to weeding, you know if someone's conscientious and able to weed effectively and fully versus the person who's just gonna do a, a overview but leave the, the, the weeds in the ground. Oh yeah, oh so, yeah. They just pinch them off instead of actually get the root out. Yeah, so you don't want the person, so there's a personality that tends to just pull fast and there's another personality that digs deep. You, that's effect, that, that rule is the same in everything in life. Some, some jobs, you only want the person who's going to do a cursory glance, okay? Yeah. Like, you don't need them to get the toothbrush out and scrub that table perfectly clean before you eat supper. You just want it swept up a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So there are times when you want that sweepover personality. And then there's other times when you want that detailed personality. And there's times when you want somebody who's a go-getter and driver. And there's times when you want somebody who's a follower. Um, so think about what the personality is for that position before you hire. Yeah, like a sales position is a completely different um, aspect than someone who's out in the field weeding. Exactly. Yeah. So why are small business owners and entrepreneurs so important right now? Oh, they're the backbone of society. And farmers, you guys are the backbone of society. I, I think of like corporate farms are growing and growing in the world right now. And they, they aren't caring about what happens to, to the, the consumer as much because uh-huh. their consumer is a bigger scale. 
you care about the individual consumer. So you are the backbone of our society. We, we desperately need you. <laughs> we need you. We need you to stay in business. We need you to, to care about us. We need you to create diverse food supplies. So we're not having one type of banana that's going to be wiped out. Um, yeah, uh -huh. you guys are, entrepreneurs see the problems, they solve the problems. But even more than that, entrepreneurs who serve small pockets of population, which is what your people are, and serve them deeply and serve them well, farmers, you care about individuals needs you're going to be what sustains society and sustained life for decades to come yeah and because the small business owner and the and the, they can pivot so much faster compared to these massive businesses which take literally sometimes years to move stuff over i mean we saw that in the uh the covid crisis when there was literally they were gassing entire houses of, of pork a, because they couldn't process them because the, the workers got sick, but B, because those pork were engineered to go to universities and to schools, which had been completely shut down. Yeah, or they were, remember, they said the processing plants couldn't hold pork that were bigger than those. Yeah, plants. yeah. And so like a farmer, though, you guys would figure out a way to make that pork fit. Like, I remember growing up in a farming community. We just, you guys, they made it work. Like, yeah. They, they still process a pig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think the story you're referring to is I think like the standard pig is it has to be like 247 pounds, not 247, but it has to be between like 230 and 250 or whatever it is. Um, and I've got friends that, you know, know this intimately. Um, but, uh, and, and like, yeah. And because they were being delayed a little bit, the just pigs got too big and they just wouldn't fit the process any longer. But a smaller farmer though, you would have been able to process that pig. Absolutely. And so we, yeah. that's why we need you. There's less waste, but more than that, you care about the individual people. You would have gotten that, that to people's homes. You would have, you would have, you would have found a way. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. So where can people find out about more about you? Um, I would love to have you guys come join our, my free Facebook group if you want, or even I think more importantly, or think that would, what would help your people even more is because I bet a lot of them are stressed and overwhelmed with the sheer volume of what, what should I post? What should I do? Uh -huh. We actually have an app that will tell you what you can post and when, and basically write your content for you. So it takes, it's not as great as figuring out the exact wording that your audience needs, but it gives you ideas. So you have a place to start. And, uh, that's called post deck and postdeck.io and we will we create your content for you .io all right we'll put that in the show notes as well and another thing is you run a challenge called the 100 perfect people yes. talk to us a little bit about that because i've seen some incredible results from that <laughs> we do it's not running for a little while but we hopefully we can open it soon 100 perfect people we help people get their first 100 people in an audience so imagine that you're a local farmer and you want to tell people that your farmer's market is going to be open. It's March and it's opening in three weeks. If you had 100 people that all mentioned, oh my word, I'm so excited to their friends and their family, how much more would that prepare you for your farming, your selling season? It would be life-changing, wouldn't it? 100 uh -huh. people can be completely life-changing for a business. And what my challenge does is it helps you find those 100 people who are going to become your catalyst. They are the ones that go and build your brand for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the raving fans, building yes. those first, the raving fans, perfect people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we'll put the link there as well. And again, it, is it on a wait list right now so people can just sign up to hear more about it when it comes out later? Yeah, it's a wait list. We, we should open it again in the fall. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, and we'll obviously uh, share that with folks again when that comes. If they're on our email list, you will definitely get an email about that because last year people loved it. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time today. This has been fabulous um, talking all things geeky about Facebook and um, just, you know, building businesses. And again, I really appreciate your friendship over the years. It's been hugely helpful in our business and uh, just glad we could share that with our audience. And I'm just grateful for you and grateful that you were one of my first hires and love to see what you've done with your business now. It's been, you know, it's been a journey. It's been a lot of fun and it's, it's amazing the uh, number of farmers get to work with every single week. So that's just, it's so exciting just to see the, the change in their businesses. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And you've been a, a integral part of that. So, all right. Thank you again, Rachel. And uh, we uh, thriving farmer audience, we will speak to you next week. All right, Thriving Farmers, that wraps this episode. For next week, we have a very cool guest. I, um, you know, I, they reached out to us about coming on the podcast. Then my team got a hold of it, and they're like, Michael, you've got to have them on and talk about the story. So next week, we are having Helena and Mika from, let's see, Helsa Foods. Um, and what they have is plant-based foods. And the biggest thing they just came out with about a year ago is oat gurt. So it's an oat based yogurt. And so in this episode, we walk through everything from their background. They come from a very different background than farming or agricultural. So we walk through their background. We walk through the four years of R&D that they did to bring this product to market. And then we talk about how they're now contracting with farmers in the U.S., to actually build a, a, a production system for the oats to go into this. It's a very specialized oat that goes into their goat, um, their oat gurt. So anyway, can't wait for you to join me next week. It's going to be a very cool interview, um, one I thoroughly enjoyed. And there's a lot of laughs shared as we kind of just discussed, you know, growing a business, especially in the COVID-19, new COVID-19 world. So see you next week. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.